This is the final uh, Sunday in February. This is known as Marriage Month, Love Month, Valentine's Day, all that kind of stuff. And uh, my brother and I have been speaking about love and marriage and relationships. This is the last one. As we close this out, I'm taking a little bit of a different twist. You wouldn't exactly think uh, about uh, this for Marriage Month, but my message today is called In Celebration of Being Single. In 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter. Now, this is the chapter we read a couple of weeks ago. First part of it. Talking about why to get married. Now, Paul was not real warm and fuzzy on marriage. Uh, he wasn't crazy about the idea. A little different than we are today. We kind of think, you know, great to be married, too bad if you're single. And back then, it was great to be single, too bad if you're married. It's a completely different take on things. And... He basically said, look, don't do it, don't do it. Why, why do it? Unless you have this physical desire, sexual drive, the urge to merge, then, then go and do it. But otherwise, if you don't need that, then don't get married. And it is basically the fundamental reason for marriage in the first place. Now, we, he keeps on talking about this thing about single versus married and stuff like that. We get to... Verse 25, we'll pick it up here. He says, now about virgins or single people, which are supposed to be virgins. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. In other words, this is kind of an interesting phrase here. It's the only place I'm aware of in the Bible where he's writing and he says, okay, this isn't God talking, this is me. All right, this isn't God giving a command. This is just my advice. I think I know what I'm talking about, he says, but this is me. So if you disagree with Paul, relax. You're not arguing with God. This is his opinion. He says, because of the current present crisis, and you have to understand the early Christian church at times went through waves of persecution. Historically, we know what it's about. Things were very tough. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it is good for a man to remain as he is. It would be like today, for example, Christians in Egypt that have been going under a lot of persecution and then this whole revolt and stuff like going, you know, you know, the, the dating, you know, who cares? Don't worry about this. Just kind of stay where you're at in life. Let's get through the present crisis. So that was part of it. So that's one of his reasons to uh, remain single. Then he says, uh, next verse, he says, well, if you're pledged to a woman, if you're engaged, don't seek to be released, fine. If you're free from such a commitment, don't look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, so, again, not really warm and fuzzy. Okay, you won't go to hell if you marry. I'll, I'll let you off. And he says, and if a virgin, an unmarried woman, uh, uh, an unmarried woman marries, she is not sinned. But then he tries to explain why he's talking the way he is. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And all the married people said, amen. amen, yes. And he says, and I want to spare you this. So that's what he's saying. Look, you get married, you're going to have some grief. Okay, and I'm trying to spare you. Now, again, you got the urge to merge. There's nothing else you can do. But uh, let's not kid ourselves. The idea that you're going to get married and then there's going to be an unending stream of glorious bliss in your life. Hello, check your medication. 
The reality is what your spouse does may very well irritate you until the day you die. The good news is you die. <laughs> so just relax. Good grief, it's hard. I get it. And he's trying to spare you, he says. You're headed for some grief. I'm trying to cut you some slack. Yeah, but you got to do what you got to do. It's tough when you take two people from different worlds and build a life together. It's worth it. In the end, it is a fabulous thing. It's a great journey. But it's not without trouble. People come to me and say, Pastor Mark, something's wrong in our marriage. Really? We got trouble. No, that's about right. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> ain't nothing wrong. Well, what I mean, he says, brothers and sisters, still making his argument for being single. He says, time is short. And then he says this next verse, which if you don't take it in context, is a little shocking. From now on, those who have wives should live as though they do not. Now, that doesn't mean, woo, we get to go party and dump the wife. All right? Got to keep reading. He says, uh, those who uh, marry as those will have live as though they don't, those who mourn as though they don't, do, did not, those who are happy as though they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of this world as, as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. What he's saying is, look, life is short. It's temporary. We should have such a passion for God. We should be cruising forward with God, so much focus on what God wants, that all these other things, it's as if it doesn't really exist. Uh, he's not saying it doesn't exist. Of course, you're still going to be happy. You're going to be sad. You're going to buy stuff. You get to keep it. You get to have a wife. And so it's not, that's not the, the analogy. It's just the analogy is compared to the shortness of life. Here's an example. Most of you know I, I'm a pilot. And uh, one day I'm flying in my plane, cruising along gloriously at maximum forward speed, Thanking God that I'm not on the ground driving with all of you people. And all of a sudden, a couple of young guys, Air Force guys, pop up next to me in F-16s. And it's, it's very impressive. Right? When you're all of a sudden, you look out the window and there's a couple of F-16s. I'm like, wow. So I key the mic and I holler. I said, whoa, that's very cool. And then they hammered it. And, they, and, and one of them starts hot-dogging it and spinning around like that as he's going off. I mean, in a matter of nothing, they were gone. It was as if I was standing still. Okay. Now, was I standing still? I was not standing still. I was going very, very fast. Way faster than any of you can drive in a car. But compared to those boys, I was standing still. It's like that. Okay. By keeping a passion for God and keeping our focus on eternal things, which we're supposed to do, it's like everything else is kind of blurry, okay? In fact, I would dare say that if the things of life become huge to you, huge obstacles, my husband still won't take out the garbage and the kids are this and I got these bills, I would dare challenge you, you know, you're probably moving too slow, you know, spiritually, I know we got to deal with all this stuff. I get it. But you should be going so fast that the things of life are just zing, 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 zing more around us, and it's not about that. Okay? Then he goes on to continue, and he says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. 
But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. It doesn't make him evil. It just is what it is. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to, her, to the Lord both in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. It's life. You got to do it. How she can please her husband. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. I'm not trying to bum you out. I'm not trying to be a drag. Okay. But I'm trying to do this so that you can see how you can live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If you are really passionate about God big time and you want to just serve God big time, what he's saying is don't even get married so you can keep all your devotion to the Lord. Now, again, we think very differently today. Um, many times single people in Christian communities, uh, single moms, single dads, people who've never been married, often feel out of place feel kind of like a third wheel, you know, of, you know, I've heard people who sometimes around me will say that because I talk so much about marriage and family, but the reality is most of us here are married uh, or most will eventually become married, but it's not about being a drag to single people. In fact, we need to celebrate single people. I think uh, single people, according to Paul, and it's certainly true, is really one of the greatest assets the kingdom of God has. People who are unencumbered and can give much more of their time and energy for things of the kingdom, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But we as married people really should celebrate those around us who are not in the same status as we are. You know, invite these people into your home. When was the last time you had a single person over to uh, watch a movie with you and your wife, kids or whatever, stuff like that? We should open our homes up. We should be encouraging that kind. Reach out to these people. A single mom or something like that. Uh, you're going boating and you'll call them up and say, hey, why don't you come join us? You know, bring a couple of rugrats and, and, and invite these people in. Make them feel valued and cherished because we should value them and cherish them because they are uh, an important part of God's kingdom. Okay? Now, having said that, let me put a little caveat on it. Now, this does not erase what I just said. But we need to be smart. You need to take care to avoid inappropriate affections. Okay? And you need to listen to your spouse. If your spouse says, hey, you know, we've had Susie over here eight times this week. Knock it off. All right? You need to listen. We're human beings. You start spending too much time with someone, you can get some inappropriate affections. You know, let's not be stupid about it. Okay, but then let's not be paranoid about it. I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but encourage them, bring them in. If you feel like someone's starting to get, you know, your husband says, you know, let's not have Bob over this weekend. He's been smiling a little too much when he sees you, you know. Then reality check. Don't get Bob, go get Susie or some other George or somebody or else like that. All right, so while we don't have to be paranoid, them being paranoid, you single people don't have to be afraid, oh, they're going to think I'm trying to steal something. No, 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 no. We need to encourage you to be a part of our lives. Just having said that, let's not be idiots, okay? The Bible says we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. I don't know who he's writing to because most people I know are completely ignorant of his devices, but that's what the Bible says, so. Uh, now, having said that, about taking them and sharing them and making them feel valuable, one of the greatest things you can do is help to utilize these people in building the kingdom of God and laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All right, now let me show you what I'm talking about. In, in the Old Testament, 
In 1 Samuel, the 30th chapter, we read about David. Now, David, highly entertaining to read about David. If you're a guy who doesn't really like to read the Bible, or just because you don't like to read, it's not that you don't like the Bible. It's just, it's kind of boring to you because you like to read stuff or watch movies where people are getting killed and blown up and stuff. Then read David because it's great because they're killing people all the time. And uh, he has, I mean, him and his merry band of men were butt-kicking machines. You know, you often, you know, a lot of movies and stuff, they're all fantasies, you know, and Robin Hood's all, you know, these fantasies. This is no fantasy. This was real. This guy and his 600 buddies were an impossible force to deal with. They never lost in any conflict that they were engaged in. These were the most skilled, in-your-face, butt-kicking men on the face of the earth at this time. And when you read the accounts of it, it's quite fabulous. And I wish we had time to, to look at some of the stories. We'll, we'll do it sometime. But uh, some of these guys were amazing. They'll talk about one guy who stood his ground against like 800 other men. Now remember, they don't have guns. They're not like machine guns, you know, and, you know, bombs and stuff. It's mano y mano. I got a bigger club than you do. All right? And to sit there and for one man to take on 800 guys and kill the entire lot of them. That is a butt-kicking dude. You know what I'm saying? And they have these accounts and they tell about when and where it happened and some of these incredible things that these men did. They were called David's mighty men. These were the toughest of the tough. You know, they were all tough, but the really tough guys could take out like hundreds at a time. I mean, this, is how, this was just amazing. David, I mean, sometimes you would read about David. He would see like a whole bunch of the enemy up on a, on a cliff. And then he'd climb up to go get him. Now, you're at a distinct disadvantage when you're climbing up, trying to hang on to stuff while you're climbing. And I'm sure they're not just waiting for you to come up like, hurry up, come on, we got to get going here. I'm, I'm sure they're throwing stuff at him and trying to get it. But he wouldn't be stopped. He'd climb up, he'd get up there, and he'd kill the whole lot of them. And then he'd climb back down again. I mean, this guy was, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, the story of David. You know, Hollywood has never done an accurate story of David. They should. The last one was with, who was that? Uh, the Pretty Woman star, what's his name? Richard Keir played David. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> you don't get Richard Gere to play David, you get Arnold Schwarzenegger. I will kill you and then I'll be back to kill you again. I mean, so David, is like, he's awesome. You got to love David. I mean, this guy, this is amazing. So anyway, okay, back to the story. So David and his buddies, they're out there and they're kicking butt and they're just tearing up a bunch of, you know, these enemies of God that we're trying to fight. But while he was out fighting, the enemy came in the back to the city where they were staying, Ziklag, where all the wives and children and stuff were. And they came in and they raided the city and they burned it to the ground, and they took all the children and wives and everybody captive. They didn't kill anybody, but they took them all captive. Because Dave and these guys don't know, they're just out there doing their manly man stuff, and they're coming back from their battles. And We pick up the story, it says, David and his men reached Ziklag, that's their home, on the third day, walking, they didn't have cars. Now the Amalek, Am Amalekites, those dirty rats, had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and everyone else in it both young and old. And they killed none of them, thankfully, but they carried them all off as they went their way, taking them all as slaves. Well, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire 
and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his, now these are men. These are men. I am a girly man compared to Ed. All of us are girly compared to these guys. These were men's men. They sat down and they wept. They cried. They wailed out loud so long until they had no strength left to weep. Why? Their families were gone. Families, they loved their families. Life at the end of the day, you know, it's about family. And uh, so they were there and David's two wives had been captured and says their names, where they're from there. David was greatly distressed. Why? Because his wives were gone? No, because everyone was getting ready to kill him. That's a bad day. If I come to church and you all want to stone me to death, that's a bad day for me. So David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him to death. Why? Well, we're out there. For, we hadn't been out there with you. See, we're great when things hit the fan and pointing fingers of blame. And as sweet as you all are, I know human beings. If something were to really go wrong in the church and we had a big financial problem or something, the first thing half of you do is point your fingers at me. It's your fault. You know, I mean, it's just the way it is. We all want to look for a reason to blame people. You know, you shouldn't do, but it's the nature of people. And these guys were mad at David. If we hadn't been out there fighting for you, we'd have been here protecting our families. And they started talking about stoning him. Now, it's interesting to know. Now, ladies, take note here, would you please? David didn't start crying going, <laughs> they want to kill me. They don't like me anymore. Well, why would they say that if they didn't mean it? They, they obviously feel this inside because they want to kill me. No, David, they love you. No, but they said it. All right, listen to me, ladies. You do not get to the truth from a man when he is stressed and frustrated. I know women who try to continue the conversation. When a man is at his wits end, some of them, somehow you poke him like a bear in a cage with a stick. <laughs> and then he turns around and goes, Wah! and says something mean. And these women go, aha. I knew that's what you really felt. I know women in this congregation who have divorced men because of one thing the guy said. So you divorce him for that? Why? Well, he said this horrible thing. So he didn't mean it. Well, then why did he say it? I don't know. Maybe you were driving him crazy. <laughs> Get a clue, would you, ladies? I know in Ladyland, you guys are different. I don't understand you. But in Manville, when a man is frustrated and he says something mean, <laughs> you have not arrived at the truth. You just arrived at mean. Anybody tracking this? Take notes. Write this down. Memorize it. For heaven's sakes. The Bible says the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. You do not get to the truth in a man's heart by making him crazy and when he's mad and stressed. Now, you're a man. Don't be an idiot. Don't say such mean, stupid things. Are you crazy? Man, if I said some of the things that you guys say to your wives, she would beat me to death. 
She would. She would kill me. And, and do it very slowly. So I would feel every pain. I mean, I get it, you get mad, but seriously, stupid is a stupid does. Don't say stupid stuff. All right, move on. So they were talking of stoning him. He didn't freak out. They're just a bunch of guys. Stressing out. Each one of them were bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Well, then, the story changes. Now, if you're watching the movie, now the music has changed. Because David and these 600 guys, they're running, and they're going to go get these guys. So they're carrying all their stuff, and they're running. Because, you know, they couldn't hop a, you know, a train or anything. they got to run. These guys already have a head start, and they're running after them. And they're carrying all their stuff, and they're running as hard as they can. We're going to get these guys. So 600, David and the 600 men came with him, and they came to the Basar Valley, where some stayed behind. Why? Because 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and his other four continued the pursuit. 400 continued the pursuit. Now, it was, these weren't girly men. These were manly men. And they are running so hard. as 200 of them get to the valley, and they physically cannot continue their lungs are burning they think they're going to die so they stay and they stay in support of the men going to the front they're staying by all the supplies well now you're chasing an army with 600 guys now you're down to 400 guys uh, but they didn't care these guys were a butt kicking machine and they kept running alright so where was I? All right, here we go. So, <laughs> I got to follow the music score here. All right. So, so David, at verse 17, he finds these guys, and he engages this, these guys, and he fights them from dusk until the evening of the next day. So, as the sun's going down, they start. They fight all night long, all day long. To the, I mean, whew, and they kill them all, except for 400. Now, there are only 400 of them. They kill everybody except for 400 who, who took off on camels. It says, except for 400 young men who rode off on camels. <laughs> These young guys said, oh, dude, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, yeah. So they're taking off. Because <laughs> David's sitting there like Arnold Schwarzenegger waiting for the next guy. I'll say they took off. So David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young boy, uh, young or old boy or girl, plunder, anything else. They got everything back including all the stuff that those guys had had. See, that was the deal. When you crush an army, you got all the plunder and spoils of that army. You know, money, gold, food, camels, and chickens and squirrels and whatever they got, okay? So, so they took all the flocks and herds and chickens and squirrels, and all his men drove ahead of them with the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder, this is our stuff. We won! We've just won the Super Bowl! Woo! And... and <laughs> I got lost again. <laughs> okay, then, <laughs> I don't know why you come to this church. Okay, then David. <laughs> David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow. So all these guys come back, the 200 guys, and they went out to meet David. And, and David and his men approached and said, how are you guys doing? Oh, we're cool. We kick butt and everything. Okay. And then verse 22, but it says, now, but all the evil men and troublemakers among David's followers said the following. Now it's kind of a mean way of saying it. These guys weren't evil. These were David's guys. These were these serious warriors that all the enemies of God feared. The reason he called them evil because they were saying an evil thing. What was the evil thing? They said, 
because they didn't want to give any of the loot to the guys, the 200. They were saying, hey, we went out there. We were on the front by. We fought all that time till we were exhausted. You guys sitting back here, you know, watching Everybody Loves Raymond reruns. Man, we're out there doing it. And they come back, they didn't want to give any. He says, because they did not go out with us, they said. We will not share with them the plunder we recovered. But you can take your wife and kids and go home. Well, David replied, no, 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 no. You must not do that with what the Lord has given us. He has protected us and delivered into our hands the raiding party that came against us. Who's going to listen to you anyway? I'm in charge. That's basically what he's saying. The share of the man who stayed with the supplies is to be the same with the man who went down to battle. All will share alike. And David made this a statute and ordinance in Israel from that day until this. So the rule was, whether you stayed back in support of the guys on the front line or whether or not you were on the front line, everybody shares the same. Now stop and think about that. This principle in the kingdom of God. Jesus told us, look, in Matthew, the sixth chapter, you need to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. All right? We need, and I know a lot of you working hard and you're thinking about your 401ks and retirement, stuff like that. You listen, and you got to do that. I get that. But that's just a small part of it. What you're really supposed to be doing for this time we're on the earth is laying up treasures for the next world. Why? Because you're going to be dead a lot longer than you will be alive. Seriously, when you look in eternity, your time on this earth is, it's nothing. So you're going to spend every bit of energy that you have just worrying about and not caring about eternity. I mean, it's the dumbest thing people do. Jesus said, listen, you need to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, here's the deal. There are many ministry opportunities that are presented in the kingdom of God, in churches. Everything from volunteering uh, opportunities here in the church, uh, coming in to, you know, put stuff together, be at some conference that we're doing, or volunteering to go help man a booth at the Packer game that raises money. Uh, which, how much did we raise this year? Anybody know? I think like 20 grand, 22,000. That was a lot of money. These guys, because they go out there, and while the rest of you are sitting home enjoying it, they're out there selling hot dogs and stuff, man, and all the money goes to the church. Very, very cool. So there's all kinds of opportunities. There's ministry, mission opportunities, where we take people to, like, Myanmar, different things like that, and there's lots of wonderful things that we can do. All kinds of opportunities set before us. Here's the reality. For a lot of us, we just don't have the time to do it. It is what it is, particularly those of us who are married and have families. It's what Paul was talking about. Oftentimes we hear about opportunities and we think, oh man, I wish I could do it, but I, I can't. And it doesn't make you evil, it doesn't make you bad. We can't. I don't have time for these things. I barely have time to do whatever in the world it is I'm doing. But don't just not do it. Look for people you can support so they can do it. And the greatest opportunity we have for people like this are those who are not encumbered, those who are single or even single moms and dads. Let me explain. You know, for example, I just had a, this week, I was talking to somebody, a couple in the church, and their son wants to go to Costa Rica on this mission thing for, for 10 days or whatever. And they're going to go out there and, I don't know, build stuff in the jungle. I don't know what they're going to do. And, uh, uh, but he was $500, he needed like $500 short. And, uh, and they asked me, boy, you know, if you could help out, you know, like with 20 bucks or something, that would be great. And I thought, I'll give him the 500 bucks. Why? I don't want to go. <laughs> I don't want to go down there. I don't have the time anyway. 
even if I wanted to. I can't. Most of you know what I'm talking about. You have lives. You can't do all this stuff. Here's a single guy. You go. I make it possible for him to go. You know who shares in the rewards of that for eternity? Me. (laughs) Because he who stays by the stuff is the same reward as he who's on the front line. It's a great opportunity. You know, I mean, some people, you know, you think about, you know, helping like downtown with manna for life or something, the soup kitchens and stuff like that. You don't have the time. I don't have the time to do this. But you know what? You could go to a single mom and say, who, who you know would be interested. Hey, would you like to be? Oh, I wish I could. So I'll tell you what. We'll watch your kids. All right, so you can go. Great break for her. She gets away from the rugrats for five minutes, regains some bit of sanity, actually engages in adult conversations for a moment. And she can do stuff that you cannot do. You know, and don't forget, people, the single moms particularly, and dads who, who have just the kids, that's, it's a tough haul. You know, those of us who are married, we get to share the responsibilities. Get to. <laughs> but we share the responsibilities. It makes life easier. The more hands, the easier life is. After today, you know, our grandkids are going to come over. And, and terrorize our house. And, and we're looking forward to it. We've been talking, oh, I can't wait till they come over. And it's going to be great. You know, when the little rugrats come out, it's so easy because there's so many of us. You know, you know, I play with the little guy for a while, and then I hear you take him for a while. And then, you know, it could be an hour and a half before they come around to you again. And it's easy because, you know, it's just not you. Single moms, single dads, it's always just them. Always, 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 always. You don't think they'd like a break? Have an opportunity where you step up you make something possible for them to be able to do what you cannot do. It's not a cop-out. I know some people, well, that's a cop-out. You know, no, it's not a cop-out. A cop-out is thinking, I wish I could do it and then doing nothing because you don't have the time. That's a cop-out. You feel, oh, I wish I could do that. That's probably God trying to get your heart, the Holy Spirit putting on your heart. Don't just walk away because you can't look around. Who can I get to go for me? Who can I support? What can I do to make it possible? And the greatest asset we have are people who are not married or not encumbered with all the stuff going on. And this is particularly true for you guys. Not only are you married, you have your own businesses. You know, I know. It's tough. I've been there. Because then a lot of people think, oh, I wish I had my own business and I'd have all kinds of free time. (laughs) I don't think so. Having your own business is tough. The best part is you're the first one to find out if you're getting laid off. But, uh, <laughs> come on, you guys got, you know what I'm talking about. Your companies own you, man. It, it is what it is. It's a season of life. It's just, it's not your whole life. But for a while, you got to build and you got to focus. You don't have time to come in and volunteer for a lot of stuff around here. But you could help somebody else. You could step up. You could get involved, encourage others, make it possible for them. Now, I, you know, I don't want to go to the Packer game for three hours and, and stuff. You know, take Susie's kids. You'll have fun with them. They'll be nice to you. <laughs> Anybody know this, by the way? He got some little demon-possessed kid, you know. And then he goes over to someone else's house, and you're convinced they've probably burnt the thing down by now. You know what I'm saying? And then you, call, you see him later and say, how was he? And they, oh, he was great. You go, no, really, how was he? <laughs> You know, because they're nice to them. There's no war going on with them. You know what I'm saying? It's a break for everybody. 
Get people involved in your life. You know, sing. You know, and couples with couples, I, I talk about that as well too. It's good to, for couples to get out and get with other couples because then you can talk through your nonsense. Seriously, my wife and do this all the time. We'll go out, we'll go out with another couple and we'll vent the stuff that's making the two of us crazy. And I always get a kick out of it because the other couple always goes, oh man, now we don't feel so bad. <laughs> Seriously, because they think, you know, we're holding, we float on air and we never have problems. You know, I drive her crazy, she drives me crazy. It's what we do. And then we vent it out. And it's good and it's healthy for you. Don't be one of these people. I know a lot of people think it's our business. That's our business. Just our business. Nobody should know our business. Just the two of us. You do that, you are an idiot wrapped up in a moron. <laughs> you are just out of your stinking minds. No one should know our business. You're crazy. You sat on an island like that, just the two of you. Y'all going to turn into cannibals and eat each other's heads off. <laughs> it's healthy. Good to connect with other couples, but don't forget about the single people as well. Invite them into your lives. Encourage them. Connect with them and use these people. Empower them to do what oftentimes we cannot do because of the demands of our married lives. Okay, that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Let me end with this scripture. James, the first chapter. James writes this. He says, religion that... God our Father accepts as pure and faultless. Wow, what is that? What could it possibly be? Pure of what would God accept as pure and faultless religion? It's to look after orphans and window, widows in their distress. Now you have to understand, this is 2,000 years ago. People didn't live as long as we live. You realize that every year just the flu would come through and kill thousands of people, right? You know, I don't know how many of you are aware of history, but these diseases and stuff, people were dropping like flies. It was very common to have widows and widowers. You know, and some of them were very young. The Bible talked, there's a whole section in the New Testament about how to deal with the young widows. Why? Because these are girls, their 20s and 30s, they're already without a husband to have kids. Why? The dude died, got the flu, got you know, busted his foot somewhere and got infected and poisoned his system and he's dead. You know, I mean, this is one of the greatest things he says you can do is to look after these people in their distress. Now, we don't have widows like that today because thankfully we don't die from some of the dumbest things on earth. Thank God for that. We all tend to live a very long life. But our version of widows and orphans today is, is pretty much the people who are single moms and dads we get it because of divorce and stuff in their life, but they still, like these, are in distress. Life is extremely hard for them. You know, by reaching out to them, try to make their lives a little bit easier. Free them up, maybe to do things that you, quite frankly, don't have the time to do. Uh, I just think there's a great asset. Don't just ignore the pull on your heart and write it off as, I can't. I get that you can't. I'm in that category with you. Most of the time, I cannot do what I would like to do. But you know what? I can write a check for the other guy so he can do what I cannot do. Or I can step up and volunteer, take care of their kids. So something, somehow, something in my life that I can do to make it easier for them. If we would think in those terms, I think we would start to utilize more of the assets. Gotta finish that word. <laughs> <laughs> the assets 
and not just the, anyway, anyway, you know what I'm saying? Utilize all this stuff so we can have the biggest impact we can on a lost and dying world. I'm done. Let's have our ushers come and I get ready to serve communion and our musicians can come back up. The single people in our churches, quite frankly, especially young single people, they should be having the time of their lives. We do this right. We should be able to send them on all kinds of trips all over the place. It shouldn't be misery for them to try and raise $1,200 so they can go to Africa or to Costa Rica or something like that. Man, the minute one of our single guys in this church says, hey man, I got, you see a table out there. We're trying to raise money for a trip, man. So much money, should everybody just throw in a bunch, 100 bucks here, 50 bucks there, boom. It should just happen for them right away. They should be having a blast. Going all over the place. Winning souls, touching lives. Why? Because they can. These are the guys that when there's a horrible disaster like in Katrina or something like that. Make it possible for these young guys, man. We'll, we'll underwrite you. You can go down there. We'll pay all your bills for 10 days to two weeks or whatever. It's a great way for us to change the world by using these people who have the ability and the time. They don't have the money. We got the money. Let's help them. Let's empower them. Let's take advantage of this great asset that we have. Sadly, single people too far often are failed to be recognized, appreciated, and empowered in our churches. Oftentimes they feel out of place because they're not married. Let's be careful not to. Let's continue to celebrate marriage, but let's celebrate all of life. We can do it. We're getting ready to take communion. This is when we focus on God's grace and mercy in our lives. He died on that cross for us 2,000 years ago so that we could have forgiveness of sins. This is why we're here today. This is what it's all about. And we're going to pray a prayer together where we kind of just ask God to clean us up for mistakes and sins that we've dealt with over the last week. But maybe you're here and you've never really ever in your life truly surrendered your heart to Jesus. Maybe you're visiting for the first time. Pray this prayer with us. It's a great way for you to take your first steps of faith to really begin to experience God in your life. Let's pray this together. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. And that you loved me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Help me to lay up treasures in heaven. As I surrender myself to you. Amen.